I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. If you or someone you know has recently discovered through an at-home DNA testing kit that one or both of your biological parents are not who you always thought they were, I want you to know that you are not alone. In fact, there's a very large group of people just like you who have connected and bonded over this unique situation. I happen to be one of them. The group is sponsored by an organization called the NPE Friends Fellowship. If you would like more information on how to join this group, please visit my website, www.thebradleyhall.com and look for the free NPE Resources Kit. Simply submit your email and I will send you an email full of links and resources to help you in your journey, including specific instructions on how to find and join the MPE Friends Fellowship. We look forward to sharing your journey with you. For sure. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to, um, Amy, I'm glad I'm glad you're here. Paulette, I'd like I'd like you and I to talk about our MPE experience, and Amy, to you to chime in with your professional experience on other things that happened. Because I, it, June is MPE Awareness Month, and uh, for those who don't know by now, they should know MPE stands for Not Parent Expected, and it's when someone discovers that their their parents, uh, their biological parents, may not be who they thought they were. And uh, Paulette and I have both experienced that's what brought us together, and um, so I know that Paulette, you and I talked about uh, bringing Amy into this conversation because of her experience with trauma. Uh, I know you particularly brought up the, uh, uh, you particularly brought up ACEs that you wanted to discuss ACEs. Um, Amy, I, I, I'm assuming that Paulette mentioned that to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah I hope I did. My, <laughs> I just didn't want to catch you completely off guard. I didn't want, yeah, I hope that I did. And part of it is, um, as I've been thinking, I think that's what I shared with you, Brad, is as I've been thinking about not only my own personal experiences, but listening to the stories of a myriad of people that are um, going through this MPE experience, is that what I'm hearing um, is that many before they ever got the the NPE um, discovery had already had experiences of you know a lot along the line of ACEs right already had Absolutely. adverse childhood experiences already had the something on some level is not right here oh yeah um, right Absolutely. Uh, and Amy I think it was you but when I was talking to you about what I was going through and I shared how, uh, and Doug, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, Brad, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, but that when I was about seven, I got told in the most vicious of ways you can learn something that um, my, my dad wasn't my dad. So my dad turned out to be my stepdad. Yeah. And I think Amy pointed out to me, you've now gone through two NPE experiences, one as a child and then one as an adult. That's a good point. Very good point. Right. And so I already brought that forward with me before the discovery. And, and now I'm finding myself going back and reprocessing that experience. Whereas before, I think as a child, I buried it, right? So that I could. Yeah. 
and go along. Um, but now I find myself, I can see that seem like it happened yesterday is, you know, you need to go back and kind of help that little girl. Yeah, I would imagine, I, I, I've had a few experiences of those, uh, experiences like that myself in different circumstances. And, and what happens for me, and I would imagine happens for you and Amy, you can chime in, uh, both of you can chime in with your experience with, with clients and the work that you've done that not only uh, are you re revisiting that and the initial pain is there, but it's compounded exponentially because now, now you're even angrier that you had to deal with that then and you're still having to deal with it now because it was completely inaccurate and, and it had nothing to, it, it wasn't real in the first place and it could have completely been avoided. Right. It absolutely could have been avoided. And just think that would have been a perfect time to have maybe set me down and told me everything. Yeah. Right. right. One thing that I do think about with, you know, what Paula just said, and, and you kind of spoke to it earlier, Bradley, when you were talking about, you know, you kind of always keep learning and new layers get peeled back. The personally, I think the most important thing Freud brought to the table was this idea of defense mechanisms, right? That our brain does this, uh, does amazing tricks for us to keep us as safe and sane as possible. So like, you know, there are things like when Paulette originally heard that, I'm sure her brain at some level was like, okay, we're going to be filing that away for later because we can't deal with that right now. Right. Boom. Right. And, and I think that is how it unfolds for a lot of people. And, and in some ways, you know, you think like, if I know, if I had known then what I know now, but in other ways that, that probably wouldn't have been possible, you know, and, and, and that in some ways really consoles me, <laughs> you know, the pieces you said about the traumatic growth is like, and leveling up and all of that stuff, like going through those things does expand your awareness of yourself of other people of what's going on in the world it, it's so powerful but yeah it's powerfully painful first yeah. oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's one of the things i often say like this post-traumatic growth idea really does give us that beacon of hope right like i know people i've also done work with prostituted women like commercially sexually exploited women and the the reason i started that was because i met this amazing charismatic beautiful woman she there's a documentary that features her i should send to you guys um and you know i was so struck by the fact that she had been street level prostitute and now here she was and oh my god she was so amazing and she would say things like you know had i not had that experience i would never be here like that's so hopeful. It's a beacon of hope to everybody. But if you tell somebody who's a street level prostitute, like post erratic growth, you'll get there. It'll be great. Right. While they're in their pain, they just want to punch you, right? Yeah. Like you can't be dropping post-traumatic growth on somebody right in the middle of trauma. They need it, but like it feels invalidating. Yeah. <laughs> as awesome as it is, is like, oh, when you get to the other side of this, and you know, that's one of the pieces I think that we all have explored is, is getting validated and invalidated when you're experience, you bring your experience forward and people say that didn't happen to you or that's not, get over it. What's the big deal? It's so invalidating, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to take a second and I want to tell the listeners um, what are, before we continue, and, and I hate to disrupt it, then we'll come right back to what we were talking about. 
but I, I want to read the definition of, of an ACE or an adverse childhood experience for people that don't know. This is very significant. Um, ACEs are traumatic events occurring before the ages of 18. Uh, they include all types of abuse and neglect, as well as parental, mental illness, substance abuse, divorce, incarceration, and domestic violence. And um, you know, there's, there's a website to take a test um, to get your ACE scores. And um, so the interesting, and the interesting thing about what you're just saying, Amy, is, is that um, the defense mechanism, right, the file it away, we become very resilient as we go through trauma and we learn to file it away. And through standard deviance, every, every new experience, every new ACE through standard deviance creates a new normal. Right, so we get to the point where some of us have really high A scores. We have really traumatic, a really traumatic childhood, a, back, a background with full of aces. But we get to a point where we, we're like, eh, it's, it, it really wasn't that bad. It could have been a lot worse. And I know that I did that with my childhood. And I've talked to so many people, clients and people on the podcast, where they initially don't understand just how awful it's been for them because they've been able to be resilient and have that defense mechanism to adjust to what they're doing. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing that I, that I kind of always think about is the, the cruelty of middle age, <laughs> like in the sense of you do like, that's legitimate that like, I can't deal with this right now. I'm going to file it away. I can't like, I can't even look at this. I just got to get through life. And I myself really thought like, I'm going to get out of the, I'm going to get out of my childhood home and I'm going to start my life and everything is going to be fine. And I'm going to leave that all in the dust. <laughs> Good luck with that. Right. And that is that's why it's post-traumatic stress. You can't yeah. begin to deal with it when you're in it. You really can, it, it's after, when you've developed you know, enough level of safety that you can let those defense mechanisms down and start doing, and start doing the work. But it also feels like just when I thought it was gonna be good and I was gonna coast, slam, 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 slam. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh man. Right. Yeah. And I used to tell people that, um, you know, when it comes to that resilience building from childhood, one of our um, defense mechanisms that is a positive is that if we were as kids to allow some of the traumatic stuff to really get in there actively, we wouldn't have survived it. Yeah. It would have been too overwhelming and we would have ended up with severe mental illness or even, I believe, death in some cases because of health issues, mental health issues, you name it. So in some ways it becomes a protective factor you know, for children to be able to follow the way of saying yeah. But then what ends up happening is we're, we're now adults and something happens and it starts becoming unpacked. Right. right? It starts yeah. becoming unpacked. And, and then in order for us to continue to thrive, we need to be able to deal with that stuff that's coming forward. So that very thing that was a protective factor for us as a kid becomes the problem for us as adults. Right. Yeah. That's how a lot of trauma responses work too, right? That's exactly what you see in addiction. And, and I, um, if you haven't seen his work, um, Garber Matei, 
love him. He's like up there with Brene as like heroes of mine, but he's a Canadian um, doctor and he does all work with people in addiction. And he believes that 100% of addiction is about trauma response, right? And um, when I'm talking about trauma, I have this slide that I show and it has three pictures and it's like, you're in pain and distress. And the therapist says, give me three months at least working with me in therapy and you'll start to feel better. And you know, you might be sent to the psychiatrist because you're in so much distress. And he pulls out a prescription pad as they are want to do and gives you a medication and you know, gives us med two to three weeks and you'll start to feel better. And then you go to the corner bar and the bartender says, give this shot two to three minutes you'll start to feel better. What are you doing? Yeah. Right? You'd be foolish to not, but not want that, not want the relief that the temporary relief that substances bring, but that's a problem. It's very temporary relief. And then the, the substance use disorder becomes the problem in your life and everything, you know, what helped you in the real short term messes with you huge in the long term same yeah. sort of idea yeah well and it's it, it this gets into the the hero's journey and the 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 alcohol and the substance or anything else that takes its place is uh is the hero neglecting their duty running away from what's going on it's simba who went out into the prairie with timon and pumbaa and ignored his his legacy and his lineage of who he was in the lion king uh, finally, it got to a point where he hit rock bottom and he knew he had to go back. And, and the only way to, to, to rise above it was he had to face the enemy face to face. He had to fight the thing that scared him, his uncle, you know, the, the murderous father. He had, he had, the thing that scared him the most, he had to confront and he had to defeat it in order to enjoy his, his, his lineage and his legacy. And that, that's a hero's journey. And that, that's deep. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I love it. You see why I'm writing down all the stuff as you do your podcast? Going, the Lion King will never be the same again for me. Right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's, it's the Carl Jung philosophy. You have to slay, you can't get the gold until you kill the dragon that's laying on top of it. And, um, and that's what we're missing, you know, and, and the alcohol, the, the drugs, the, the moving from relationship to relationship, the TV, the porn, the food, what it doesn't matter what it is. It's all running from confronting the problem. And the only way to get through it is to, and another, another analogy I use, and I, I, you know, I, I've used it several times on this podcast. So I, I hope that uh, my listeners are okay with, with uh, repeating it. They but, don't mind hearing it again. They're writing it down. <laughs> you know, I'm a retired firefighter. So in, in, in a house fire, a child will hide under the bed or in the closet from the fire. It's logical to them. There's, there's something that's going to hurt me out there. I'm going to go someplace quiet and dark and confined where there's comfort. And we see animals do the same thing. Okay. But we know that we know that doesn't work because the reality is, is eventually the fire will find them and will consume them. And so as we mature, we understand that you can't do that if the fire's between you and the door, hiding under the bed of the closet isn't going to save you. You have to go through the fire to get out to safety out the front door. And you know that you're going to get burned while you're doing it, but you're going to be better off in the long run when you do do it. And I, I really think that processing trauma is, is a lot like that in a simple form. And, you know, we need to get the word out to people that 
and, and, and the self-awareness comes in. I think everybody screwed up. That was one of the things that I want to talk about. All right. Well, <laughs> I, what I think is the world we live in is really screwed up. To cope with this world, we have to learn some, some thing. Like that was one of the things that, that um, you know, you've talked a lot about that and you have a lot of conversations about this, this feeling of like broken, messed up, right? Um, and that, that is the feeling. But when you really do look at, when you, you like, when you get that step back and you look at trauma as like this list of symptoms that are predictable, that fall, that we can, you know, kind of describe what it's going to look like. If this is, if your trauma is a house fire, I can predict what some of the things that are going to haunt you later are going to be. Right. Right? So, and, and that to me feels like such an important distinction because it's about like, where is the problem? When you believe the problem is in you, that sucks. Yeah. When you believe, when you can see that the problem is, I'm not the problem. I'm reacting completely predictably to something really messed up that happened to me. Yeah. Right. And, and to me that like, that's what it, and it feels important to, but of course we're all, we're, we all feel that way because this world is messed up. We live in a culture that randomly assigns power to people based on arbitrary characteristics over which they have no control, like race, gender, sexual orientation. And we block so many people out of, you know, power roles and decision-making roles because of their identity. Not because of what they are bringing to the table or their amazing creativity or that's a, t that's a yucky world. Yeah. Right. I mean, it really is. And, and that was one of the things I was thinking about too. Um, you had a guest on who's a trauma recovery coach, a, a man who talked about sexual abuse. I can't remember his name, but it was Paul, talked Paul, about Paul Christino. Yes. Great, and, great guy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that was, that was really good. Um, oh no, I just lost, I just lost what I was going to say about that. I don't remember. He had said something about that. Sorry. No, it's, it's quite all right. I, 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 I'll go ahead and chime in with a couple of things I was going to say. If you remember, we'll come back to that. Okay. Um, I, I'll look at my notes. <laughs> so, so what I always say is, is that, that we're all broken. We're all screwed up. I, and I say that a lot. And, and I've met resistance with trauma recovery coaches on that because they, they, they don't know that the second part of that, because if we're all screwed up, then we're all normal. Right. Right. <clears throat> right. So that's my baseline. We, we, we all have our own issues and that makes us all normal. So we should all, you know, begin to understand, have compassion and understanding that, that we're all dealing with our own issues. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't have the self-awareness or the, and or the knowledge to have the self-awareness to know that they're dealing with trauma. Right. Um, an example would be someone who may be a compulsive eater. Right. So, really or let's let's use an even better one a workaholic work uh, workaholics uh, overworking is not only accepted in this country it's glorified in this country right. so someone who is compulsively working to cover up their trauma doesn't think they have a problem they think they're just a good employee they think they're just a good worker they're doing what they're supposed to do and they're and rewarded so, yeah so they don't have that awareness that that knowledge and that awareness self-awareness to be able uh to to identify that the second uh, thing is, is that 
Uh, I love what Bobby Parrish says. And Bobby Parrish says we're having a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Exactly. Sums exactly. it up perfectly right there. Uh, but did you remember what you were going to say, Amy? I did. I'm thinking about, you know, kind of power differences that exist. You guys were talking about stigma. And I, I think that stigma is really about sexism. Be, like in our country, in our culture, we have feminized having emotions. Like m emotions are the realm of girls and women. If you have emotions, we're going to call you pejorative names that we call girls, right? Or right. female names. And, and because of that, it's so much harder for men to come forward and talk about this stuff. And, and to me, that's so much evidence that sexism, re, th those things are not serving us. You know, the yeah. things that um, do serve us are connections to other people. And, you know, we're living in a world in a time right now where we're being intentionally divided more than ever. And it is so damaging and so hurtful. And even the people that can seem to be on the winning end of that aren't there's no winners until yeah. we have a more equitable society it's gonna hurt all of us it's interesting you brought that up so i mentioned in the podcast uh with paul that right the day before that i had two different people from my past uh trolling me uh you know because people in your past want to keep you in the little box where they think you belong they they don't people don't like growth they don't like unpredictable, uh, you know, they want unpredictability. They want, they want you predictable. They want you who you were, and who they think you are. And so they were trolling me. And in both cases, both of them were alluding to the fact that uh, just exactly what you were talking about, that because I'm telling my story, because I'm talking about this, that it's because I'm weak, because, I, because men aren't supposed to talk about wow. this. You're a gender traitor, Bradley. Yeah, wow. well, you better believe that. That's um, that's messed up. Sorry, but like that well, is so yeah. bad. that's so sad for those guys too that they that they see it that way. That, yeah, that yeah. Well, one was a, one was a female but, and one was a male. Uh, um, and and I I, I want to be clear that I, I'm I'm telling this because it fits exactly what you're talking about. You know, I I have I have become comfortable enough with who I am, and I understand what I've been through to a point to a degree that I feel it's important to explain it to other people to help them understand. So the, the words, uh, I mean, the things that were said to me, didn't, they didn't bother me. They actually strengthened my resolve. I'm at that point where they, they, I knew, I know that I'm doing something right, but it highlights your point. You know, I'm a man and I'm not supposed to talk about my emotions. I'm supposed to just keep everything quiet and I'm supposed to, you know, go do what men Suck do. It up, buttercup. Yeah. 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 Uh, and we, we do have a real problem with that. And, uh, you know, Paul highlighted that as well in that conversation. Absolutely. Um, so if people don't know about the ACEs study, just like you said, it kind of assigns a point to you for things that we know would be traumatic for anybody. And the things you said, any kind of abuse, neglect, um, incarceration of a relative, all of those things, right? So you get a score and you had said it's very easy to find the tool where you can score yourself um yeah and and that translates into life expectancy 
the higher your ACE score, the, lo the lower your life expectancy when all other things are controlled for, like across the board. So when you have so much trauma that you've kind of, that literally gets under your skin, it, it is gonna cause, it's leading you to an early death from every cause. So you're more likely to get heart disease, diabetes, cancer, all of that correlates to how much trauma you've had in your life. To me, that's like mind blowing, like physical health and mental health are the same, um, or just as important, but that's not the world we live in, right? We ignore mental health, we don't attend to it, we, but we do attend to physical health. And, and that study to me, those things are so connected. How are we not dealing with trauma? Yeah, well, and let, let's touch on that we, that we don't tend to mental health. We, we, we have this, there's this fallacy that the baseline is up here that this is normal. Everybody's happy. Everybody's functioning, firing on all cylinders. They're making good decisions. This is normal. And anything below that is abnormal that you have a problem. And what, that's, the way that, that's the way that Western medicine approaches those things. And it's simply not the case because uh, we're very complex human beings. We have very complex physiological uh, processes going on in the brain and throughout the body. And they're, they're completely interconnected. And uh, you throw emotions and perception into, I mean, the, the whole thing's just, it's unmappable. And I think people need to understand that aspect of it, that you don't just find happiness. You don't just wake up one morning and open your door and it's laying, lying on your doorstep. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't come, you know, it doesn't come down the chimney. It doesn't come in the mailbox. It just, you don't, you don't find it in another person. Uh, you, you know, it, it takes work. It takes a lot of work. And um, again, we should be teaching our kids this yeah. you know, from a very early age that we're, we're conditioning them that if you get a good grade, you make mommy and daddy happy. And then that makes you happy. Right. So, you know, um, and uh, so I, I just want to hit that pretty hard that people need to understand that you don't ha happiness takes work. It, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of trial and error. It takes a lot of screwing things up. And then going back and, and reevaluating it and uh, doing, you know, a debrief, as we, we call it in the, in the fire department. Um, I, is, that, uh, is that an Air Force term too, Paulette? A debrief? Debrief, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So bringing this back to the MP experience and, and everything that um, Amy was sharing, what you were just sharing, Bradley, um, I think it becomes really important for those of us who have had um, the MPE discovery, especially later in life. I was just contacted by someone that a big factor in their discovery is your age, is to recognize that this is a journey, that it does take processing and going through the grief to get to the other side. Um, and based upon stories we both know, is very often people are being told it's not that big a deal, or I don't understand what the issue is, and that nothing has changed, when of course everything has changed, right? Mm -hmm. That part of this having the understanding of uh, the important pieces about ACEs is this is a huge deal. 
And I know right now nobody's tracking this, but I found myself wondering of those of us who have had the empty shock and trauma that comes from this discovery, how many of us are having health issues or having health impact, not just a mental health piece. This is one where we're talking a lot about the mental health portion of NPE discovery, but I'm wondering how many people are beginning to have no kidding health issues because they're suppressing it, they're repressing it, they're, a lot of people don't understand just how traumatizing it is. This is one where I really believe uh, unless you're a highly skilled, trained professional, you can't get it unless you've experienced it. Yes. Right? Um, you know, you talked about one of my favorite phrases also for us amongst the therapists is this idea of you're going through, you're having normal responses to abnormal circumstances or experiences, right? And in my own journey in this, it was when I was able to say to myself, externalizing this experience. I am not the experience, right? I am not the experience. I am having normal reactions right now, but this doesn't happen every day. This is not the normal every day. You open up an email and your life collapses right in front of you. Right. Now, some people it wasn't that quick. In my cases, I've shared with both of you guys. Mine was probably a 30 second realization that something was very, very wrong and very, very shocking, right? And, and I think it's almost like having some kind of disaster, a tornado coming along without you expecting a tornado to come. Yeah. And, um, and so it's a very real, real um, traumatic experience. It's not me. Very real. It's very real. It's very traumatizing. And for so many NPEs, people out there don't understand it. They don't get it. And they don't, they don't have to. I, I think, I think MPs need to understand that, that, that that's why the group is so important. Uh, because, because there's an entire group of people uh, on Facebook, as, as we've talked about often, that, that do understand. So I, and I see so many people in the group and it's nor it's normal. We want people to understand us. We want to be understood. And that, that's a normal human trait. But I think MPs need to understand that everyone's affected in their own way. So the people that that are your are you grew up thinking were your siblings are now dealing with the fact that you're a half sibling that they may have had a parent who who was uh, was unfaithful or whatever the case may be, or that there might have been some type of sexual assault. They have to everyone has to deal with lies. You got a new family has to worry about how you fit in. Uh, maybe that their parent, uh, their their father was unfaithful. Uh, if there's inheritance involved, I mean, there's so many different pieces and emotions, and everyone's dealing with it. That I think it's a distraction to worry about every what everyone else around you, whether they understand what you're going through or not and accept that and come to the group and find the people that get it. There's an- I, Bradley, though, I think it's when people first find the group and first come to the group, they're, they're into the internal self. And, and Amy, please help me with a representation yeah, of that. You're, you're in that, that selfish state where you're very much turned inward to your pain. 
right? And we need that connection. So we want other people to be able to connect in with us. And for some of the reasons that you just shared, and just people, you know, our friends, they're, they're affected because you're affected. But they're not going through that experience. They're not a sibling. They're not a grandparent. They're not the birth certificate parent. You know, they're, they're not the adopted parent. And so they have a, a different experience of it. Um, and so all of a sudden, um, the friends are disappearing because they don't want to hear it anymore. They don't know what to say. So what they do is they, they go away and they disappear. You may have your family members disappearing. And all of a sudden, I believe that there's this part of you that begins to think I'm defective. Yeah, yeah. I'm defected. And then I begin to internalize that process. And it's until you get into the group and A, you find out I'm not the only one having these feelings, these emotions, these experiences. And whenever we have new people come into the group, the new people are raw. Yeah. yeah. They're very raw, right? Yeah. And it, it does take those of us who've been on this journey longer and have begun to get some measure of healing around this Absolutely. to be able to say in a compassionate, understanding, connecting kind of way, we're on a journey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, for those of us who've been in this process longer, having an understanding that they just hit that shock. They're not ready yet. They're wounded. That's right. That's right. They're, they're wounded. And they and might even be prone to lashing out because they're wounded. So, at, you know, the, the good news of the group is we have a mixture of experiences coming in. Yes. Uh, and at the same time, those of us who've been on the journey longer, when we reach back to the ones that are just coming into the journey is to reach back to them from a place of we've been, I've been in your shoes. And then when you think they may be open and ready for like you're sharing to hear that this is a journey, this is a process. A lot of people are being affected and I eventually learned they can't deal with it. Yeah. So yeah. I just you know said, okay, they can't deal with it for their variety of reasons, but that doesn't excuse me from dealing with it. Right. 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 And, and setting my boundaries around my own healing. And I'm saying that as a trained professional. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the midst of our own wounding. It's really hard to keep that. I have this knowledge, although because I did have the knowledge at some point, I could reach out and grab it and pull it in. Yeah. Okay. I don't yeah. know if that's making sense, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. Then, it's perfect. And. In my situation, when I found out, my wife listened to everything I had to say, and she, but she said, she said, honey, I, I can't identify with what you, I can't help you. I don't know, she said, I don't know how to help you. And then she found the newspaper article that mentioned the group, and she said, maybe you should check this out. And I went in, and there was instantaneous relief. It didn't fix everything. I don't mm -hmm. want to say it's a magical cure. That's not, I mean, it's a process, and there, you have to level up and, and, and do the work. But immediately, I found a a group of, and at that time there were only 300 and some people when i got in that was just wow. years ago and there was instant relief i i had this this is what aa's created for and NA's <laughs> created for you find exactly the people, <laughs> the people who can identify the people who know enough to listen to what you're saying and they and people that can give you advice where you are and begin begin the growth and then eventually you emerge out where you can now take it out to those people because you're not dependent on their reactions anymore. I think initially right. 
we we we're dependent on a, on the on the, not only the human interaction but the human reaction that comes with it. We need mm -hmm. someone to understand us and, and give us that. And the and and quite frankly, the people out the normal people we interact with just can't identify. They can't identify with it. And look at how blessed you were um, because you had a spouse that understood that this was a big deal for you, right? Yeah. Uh, was able to acknowledge, um, I, I see you hurting, I feel for you, um, but I'm, I'm not really understanding because this is not my, my story. And then found a way to give you a bridge to getting yeah. help. And a lot of people don't get that. I mean, just really don't get that. And then for those of us who've been through this journey, I think it becomes really important that we continue to reach back. Yeah, absolutely. Advocacy. Um, I have not found anything that's more powerful than group support. I think that like whatever the trauma is, other people that have experienced it, are experiencing it, are absolutely your best resource, right? Like, because that's how trauma works. When you're in it, it is all you can think about. I have a friend whose trauma was workplace bullying and he went through this horrible experience in his workplace and it was like 20 years ago and he's like nobody wants to listen to me they're so tired of it they're like move on with your life why are you still talking about this and and it is about it's not about you it's about them and their capacity they're not thinking about this all the time and you are they don't really like they heard it yeah move on like we're all in our own experience so much that it's really hard to join someone else's but if that someone else has that same experience it's amazing and you know brad you had talked a little bit about that um before that that kind of process of not feeling the self-compassion or the empathy i find with you know group therapy when i see somebody else or hear what they're going through i am so much more able to be empathetic and like oh my god i'm so sorry that ha that's terrible in a way that i would love somebody to be for me and and that helps me be that for me you know like i can be more kind and compassionate to myself when i see wow, someone else had an experience similar to mine and look how much pain they're in. Right. I guess it's okay for me to be in pain. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a normal reaction. Yeah. And right. it, can also, it can also spurn gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. If we see someone going through something worse than what we're going through, I, there's guilt that comes along with it as well, but there's gratitude. Right. And gratitude okay. is the foundation to healing. You, you, you just can't get anywhere unless you begin to appreciate the good things that you, that you have around you. Sometimes it's hard to see them, but... But being able to do that and say, wow, that, you know, that person uh, yes. is going through way more than, than what I went through. And, and it, it changes your perspective. It, lo it right. loosens things up and lightens it a little bit. Absolutely. And that is what a group gives you, too, is that foundation of when you go looking for a group, you are always going to find people that have it better than you and people that have it worse always. than you. Yep. And if you pay attention to, like, wow, mine wasn't as bad as theirs, you will de develop that gratitude, but you do have to go, I think to some extent, you've got to go looking for people that are really in pain. You know, I think that's why, you know, social work for me, this work is, is, is about, it's a calling and it's not an altruistic calling. It yeah. heals me when I'm finding people that are in more pain than I am and I can do something to ease their pain. That makes me feel like 
life is worth living and yes. I have value because, you know, I know what it's like to be helped and I, and helping people is to me, like it, that is one of the really most healing things you can that do. Right. And you can do that in a group. Yeah. And, and any, anyone who has done, done any group. type of, of work with someone else ha has experienced that would, would agree with you. The only people that wouldn't were the people who haven't, haven't experienced that. And I say yeah, all the time, yeah. I, the, I say that all the time, one of my catchphrases is, is that the best way to be inspired is to work to inspire someone else. There's no better feeling in the world. Exactly. I've done, I've done most of my growth by taking what I've learned. I, I process it and, and I, and I grow a little bit, but then I take it and I go find someone else to share it. And then my growth really, really takes off from there. And so I, with the MPs, I want to, I want to also, especially the new MPs, I, this, this is traumatic. Um, Paulette, you, you've coined a term called identity disruption. Yes. Uh, and I love it. It's perfect. It is. Yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things that when I first heard it, I thought, why didn't I ever think of that? It's so <laughs> simply brilliant. And because it, it adequately in two words, just completely describes the entire experience. I the mean, entire experience the, 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 the longer I've been working through this and with this, the more I realize. I'll be honest, when I couldn't think of anything else when I initially coined to describe how I was feeling, but now I recognize that it, it, it captures the entire experience. And I think it's both at an individual and a collective level. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And we have a lot of people, especially uh, at the beginning who are hurting and they can't, they can't see through the smoke. They think the whole they think the whole world's burning down. They don't know that that the fire's localized to a degree that they're that eventually the the smoke will clear and that they'll be able to heal. And right. I don't want to be cliche and just tell them it's going to be all right because I didn't want to hear that either. It's hard it's hard to hear that, but it is going to be all right. You know the. A plant, a seedling can't grow into a tree without thunderstorms and rain. Yeah. All right. And I, I, I want to, so it, rather than just tell NPEs that it's going to be okay, I want to challenge them to adopt, at least adopt the philosophy that this, as painful as this is, this is an opportunity for growth and an opportunity to rebuild your life the way you want it to, right? So the way you thought things were, were just completely just shattered and ripped out from underneath you. So we have to rebuild the, we have to rebuild the house. Tornado came through, ripped everything off. Now you've got your insurance payment. Now you get to go back and rebuild it the way you want it to. You get to change what you'd always wanted to change and, and rebuild it. And better. maybe even make it better. Maybe even, um, I like that analogy. The, the, best, the best thing that was said to me was just what you said, Bradley. Uh, it's from an individual that said to me, as traumatic as this is, and I can hear that this is really traumatic, it also gives you an opportunity to rewrite your story. At this time, you get to author the story. You get to make it whatever it is that you want it to be. And you get to choose what that outcome is going to be. So, you know, you can, 
stay stuck with the old thinking and the old behaviors, or you can say um, that never really fit to begin with. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I can let that go. And I think with that okay. comes, I realized how much of my identity I had no control over. I was living a legacy because I was supposed to. And I, I think yeah. it's safe to say that we all do. So what it does is, is it brought me to a point where I get to choose whether, which parts of that I want to adopt. And, and this experience for me has been the most liberating thing to ever happen to me in my entire life. Now I, I've, I've now gotten to that wow. two years ago, two years ago, we would have had a different conversation where I, I might've, you know, been punching a hole in the wall. I don't know. I mean, I, there were a couple of days I was, I was so furious that I, 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 I have a, a really bad temper. That's, that's non-existent. It, it doesn't surface it's only surfaced a handful of times in my entire life that there was a period of a couple of days where I was just angry all day long. I mean, I'm, I just didn't stop. I'd never experienced that before. So, but I can tell you now through the journey because I've, I've owned this experience and I, I actually did a presentation for the, the MPE retreat called owning your MPE experience. And, and I've now started to adopt that that can be adapted to any situation, just owning your experience now you get to choose and it's empowering. So I have been empowered through this. I now realize that I created who I was through a, agreeing to a, a, adopt these characteristics, traits and behaviors that had been given to me by all these adults my entire life. And so who I was, I created anyway, it wasn't really real. <laughs> I, I got to choose, but I did it unwittingly. Wittingly. Now I know, now I know that I'm in control. I get to choose who I am. I get to through, and we know that neuroplasticity is a real thing. We can change our neural patterns. We can change it. We can change, we can literally change our happiness, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we can, we can, through practice, we can make ourselves happy. We can create new neural pathways. So I, I just want people to know that it may not be okay tomorrow. I don't know. I, and I don't know when it will be, but if you if you adopt the right tools the right philosophy and the right tools and you and you practice and you you start to do the work and doing that it's it's just like learning a new skill playing guitar or dribbling a basketball the more you practice the more it becomes secondary behavior and and you you can change who you are as a musician you can change who you are as a basketball player you can change who you are as a person absolutely it, and it'll, absolutely. it will be okay mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely couldn't agree more one of the things that that does um, really kind of fascinate me about this experience is that that piece of like childhood trauma and now adult trauma right and i think it is a fair it's a fair assumption that npes had some childhood trauma whatever the circumstance of their mpe experience it's yucky like there was bad stuff there or it no. wouldn't be a lot, you know, it wouldn't be a lifelong lie. There's a reason why, you know, whatever it be, and, and so, you know, the reasons range. So how, you know, the, the brain development piece, I think is, is really important. And I, when I talk about it, I'm usually talking to like preschool teachers and I talk about it like the way we set up a highway system. 
right? So like, if you, if I want to get from my house to Paulette's house across the way, I'm going to walk there and that's going to start off as like a kid path through the woods, right? You've all seen that. It's like a little kid path, the neuro pathways. And so that's how your brain works. It sets up this kind of highway system. And the more I go to Paulette's house, that's going to be a better paved road. And if I keep going there all the time, that's, that's going to end up being a super highway. And especially when there's a lot of emotion in something that really grooves the, the, like the pathway. Right. And so, and I talk about it for people that are working with kids is like, this kid has, is like always in sad lane and mad road, right? If they're, if these little guys are spending a lot of their time sad and mad, we're creating sad, mad brains. That's right. And, and that's why childhood trauma is even like adult trauma, so painful, so awful, but it, you're setting up your brain when you're a child. It's a use-dependent organ. It adapts to what is going on around you. And so you've set up, you know, sad brain, mad brain, and now you have this new adult trauma experience. So you are so quickly going to default to the super highway. Like you could take the more picturesque calm lane um, but you're in panic. You're not going for calm lane. You're like right on that super highway. You got to get there quick. And, and that I think is part of what's going on for people. Their, uh, their adult trauma is of course triggering. And, and, you know, you can spend all this time learning new coping mechanisms. And I know you do a lot of this stuff, Bradley, like mindfulness and all of these things really work and they really do change your brain but it's so much harder <laughs> than oh, it yeah. would have been to set it up right in the first place, right? Exactly right? To and not have that yeah. in the first place. Right. And this is why I think it's so important to bring in the ACEs discussion because for so many of us, there is the childhood trauma and this is re-triggering. So it may look like it's a new event and it is a new event, but it's a new event that in many cases tie directly back to childhood events. And, and it's and it's compounding to an exponential. I think, I, exponential. I think it's the magnifying glass. I, I, I really believe that because so many of us do have a, uh, a high A score that I think this is the, this is the, I can't take anymore. This is a straw that breaks the camel's back. It, it's bad. It, it's, it's traumatic enough in its own right. But when you throw it on top of the other stuff that you've dealt with, that you've agreed to put up with and, and, and gloss over and, and move, move beyond. And now this just piles into that same basket, right? Right. And now it's overflowing. Right. And so, so yeah, so I don't like the basket thing. It, it may look like it's a new basket, but I don't think it's in many cases, no. it's not a new basket. No. It's new stuff being piled on top of an old basket. And, is, and, and oftentimes it's interrelated. Over, right. We hear over and over and over, I, you know, I knew something was wrong, I knew something was off. Um, you know, in my case, it was, I was totally caught off guard, but it's amazing now how I can go back and look at little things that are suddenly making more sense for my yeah. childhood, which is also allowing for healing from the stuff that just didn't make sense. It, it helps with the, you know, I like to talk about crazy making is it didn't make sense back here. I had no context and I didn't have, I didn't have a basket to put it into. Yeah. Right. 
I didn't have a basket to begin with. So it was just kind of floating out there. And now it's like, oh, is that what that was about? Maybe I'm not crazy anymore. Yeah. Maybe this, you know, this is this new information. It's a very painful information, but it's new information that allows me to go back and reparent that child. Yeah. You know, and bring it forward. So um, and I, I'm just kind of going back. That's why for me, when, when I started talking to Amy about her being an ACES expert, I, I didn't quite know how to pull it all together. But I figured she could yeah. you know, well, help us to piece why they just seem to be a really important element in this story. And I, I'd like to use this opportunity, to your point, Paulette, I'd like to take the NPE discussion and the ACES discussion and their correlation and slide into the narcissistic mother conversation because this is a hot topic in this group there is a strong correlation between being an npe and having a narcissist mother and i want to start the conversation and this is this is going to be unpopular but i but i think we need i think we need to bring it up that in many cases, when we talk about intergenerational trauma, that the reason that someone is an NPE that has a narcissist mother is because the narcissist mother has also sustained some sort of trauma in her life. And I have come to understand, and I, uh, both of you can probably speak to this way better than I can because I, I don't have the formal training that you do. I have years of informal training, but rec only recently uh, sought out the formal training. I believe that narcissism is a defense mechanism in itself Absolutely. Uh, for people who Absolutely. are codependent. They're the whipping boy. They're the whipping child. They take it and they take it and take it. And the ego finally figures out a way to make ourselves feel good. And it begins to exhibit itself with narcissistic symptoms. Do you agree? Absolutely. I'm going to go out on a limb and it's just popped into my head, but I am going out on a limb. Uh, earlier, Amy talked about the gender difference. I also think this is one that falls along with gender lines is when there's a situation that results with an NP child, who's bearing the brunt of the stigma that goes with it. And I really believe the defense mechanism that you talked about for a lot of women is to try to protect themselves. I'm not convinced that all mothers of NPEs started out as narcissists. Some have. Some have, but some of it um, is, it was a defense mechanism designed to protect yourself because the societal response would have been brutal, especially for those of us who were in the older bracket. When I think about the times that my mother came along in and her religious and faith background and the um, specific community that we lived in, um, she probably felt like she had no other choice for her without being crucified. Yeah. Than to keep the secret and then pattern her life around that secret. I agree. So I'm not defending her, but yeah, when I look back, do I see narcissism? Absolutely. Yeah. If we see a woman who is married, who's married and has a family and has a child with another person. Mm -hmm. So her choice is either at that time, you, you can't do it anymore. I mean, it's the technology is there, but at that time, 
it was keep my secret and keep my family together and protect all of my children okay. or, my you know, clear my conscience and, and tell everybody immediately and, and potentially have my current husband leave and disrupt the family and hurt my children, maybe not have a provider. And, not have a provider, right. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's way more complicated than we're, we're making it. And but, yeah, so I, I think the narcissism in some cases, you know, it's protective. And then, uh, Amy, you and I have talked about this, is at some point, who's it serving? Right. At some point, to continue to keep that lie, then, then that's, is it about a protection? Is it about self-protection? Is it about narcissism? Um, you know, on the male side, you know, I'm looking at, I'm finding out that there are multiple MPs in my new family, right? So these men were getting to walk away. Oh yeah, that's a whole other thing. That is a whole other thing. <laughs> but it's a big this one. This man right? agrees it's, with you, yes. But that's topic. another huge topic is we get, the, we get the point at the mothers. Yeah. Right? Um, because we're the ones carrying the children. And then hopefully, you know, in 2020, this burden that mothers had, especially for women in their generation above mine, right? Yeah. It's, if I go back in history and, and, and you look at it, um, Scarlet Letter, the A, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <your> friend. <laughs> right? They either hit it or they wore it, <laughs> right? Right. And Hester Prynne owned it. Hester mm -hmm. Prynne owned it. She owned it. She owned her experience. She did. Right. That, exactly that what I was talking inspiring. about earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I also think like empathy is, is higher. Like the defining characteristic of narcissism is their absolute lack of empathy. Right. right? They, they don't, they, they don't care. Like, it feels like they just don't care about your pain. They can cause you pain. They can see your pain. They could like, all they care about is themselves. And that is about, I am so hurt every day, all day, every day. I'm so wounded and injured that I can't even get out of my own way to think about anybody else who may be injured. And if I injured them, the shame that might come from that is way too overwhelming. So instead, I'm going to develop this. I can't worry about that. I'm worried about me yeah. and everybody else. And, and, it, it's horrible. Let's it's explore that capacity. Can we explore that a little bit? Capacity, right? Yeah. An analogy would be in like a war type situation where there, there's an explosion, there's bullets. Every, and the, well, the perfect term is every man for himself. We've right. heard that over and over in popular culture and movies. And that's exactly what it becomes when you're, wow. when you're surviving trauma. You, you, I would have been writing this down like, oh my God, that's such a good point. Like, wow, good one. Yeah, this is, thank you. If I wasn't with you, this would be going on my talk to Brad list. But that's, you gotta yeah, stop, it. That's that a analogy. great analogy. It really is a great analogy. It's, it's the truth, right? I mean, it's the truth. You and, can't and help somebody you, else if you're that that's right. wounded. That's right. And, and you ha all of your resources go to the survival instinct and, and shift from the, the, the part of the brain that is responsible for empathy, the survival is on the other side of the brain. And, mm -hmm. and then you reinforce those neural pathways and the brain doesn't ever go back to where it came from. And little by little through the trauma, we get away from the empathy and the compassion 
until until we reach a point where we confront it, which is what we were talking about earlier. But I want to stay with with the, the this theme. So part of the healing process, this is where this gets controversial, is going to be to be able to take this information and apply it to the situation for NPEs. It and and once you we we start to apply it and we begin to understand that it wasn't God, this is where it gets controversial, right? It wasn't about us. The mother was making all of all of the decisions based on her circumstances, her survival, where she had come from, what she had learned, what she thought she had to do, the capacity she she had at the time to understand. And it wasn't about us. And boy, if accepting, if, if, if being able to look into a mirror and accept that, that it really wasn't about us, isn't one of the hardest things for a human being to do. I don't know what. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And, and the things that both of you guys said, like so much of mental health is about identity and attachment, right? And at that, when, when you're pregnant, when you're a pregnant woman, what's best for you is what's best for your baby. Those two things are exactly the same. And, and they are exactly the same for a while, right? I think it only when the child becomes self-aware and develops their own identity that, you know, what's best for them and what's best for mom are not the same thing not a lot same, of the time. Right? But it starts out as the same. And I Perfect. think that that is, you know, it's as a mom too, I think it really is hard to separate your identity from your child's identity. And you can't help but see your kid. And, 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 and I think, you know, narcissism looks like it's about people that just only care about themselves, but they are so, so deeply, I, I have to believe, they are so deeply wounded underneath that, that this is not a pleasant experience. This is painful as hell. And that it's about, it's a reaction formation. It's, if I, it's so painful to me that people are rejecting me or they don't care about me or they, they're judging me that I'm gonna judge them first and screw everyone else. Right, like I don't care about anybody. Um, is my narcissistic mother mother's like refrain? It, she doesn't care what she loves to say. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care. You know, it's all about me. And and that's and, and you know I like look at her life and she doesn't have. She's not in a relationship. She doesn't have friends. She her kids don't speak to her. And like that didn't really serve you though, did it, mom? You know that this it, it at one point maybe it it feels protective and she can't she can't even she can't even accept that right if you were to say this isn't serving you it her brain can't receive that that is an attack she can't hear the value she can't hear the truth in that because the ego has put up such a shield wall that it, it perceives that as a threat and will automatically be discounted and twisted and turned away right the, and, and, and I want people to understand this is, this is what, and I don't mean this from a negative standpoint. I, I, I mean, this is the defense mechanism that the brain has built because the, the trauma and the ridicule, the bullying, the beating, whatever the case may be. Right. It's the thing we're talking about in childhood, the kinds of things that we set up. That's right. Um, as a child, as a survival mechanism or a survival tool, will also end up, when it's being done on traumatic circumstances, be the things that get in the way, interfere, lead to things like developing that narcissistic identity. 
That's right. That's right. Because it comes down to the opinions of others hurt me. The only opinion I can rely on is my own. So I'm going to create grandiose opinions of myself to make myself feel better. Because it constantly, yeah. yeah. So you can't say to them, you're destroying your relationships because they're not going to hear it. 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 And it's extremely frustrating. It's extremely sad. But I, I, th- I think NPs need to really understand that because if they, it, this walks to the, uh, steps down the road, this gets us to the next controversial subject, which we may have to reconvene and come back and talk about this, um, which is forgiveness, which is a four-letter four letter, letter word in, in this group. But, right. Well, if you're if you're in the midst of your pain, forgiveness is not the first thing that comes to your mind. And I also believe that too often in our society, we want people to get to that place of forgiveness prematurely. Prematurely, I agree. Right. But forgiveness is about the person who is hurt, and not about the person that does right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's hard to get to that point. We want to blame. We want to lash out. We want to blame. We you know we, we don't. It, it's like the the abused animal that wants to bite and lash out, and and we want to do that. But ultimately, we have to come to a point where when we understand human behavior and what's happened and why things have happened, we really put it together. That that when we finally forgive, we end up letting that pain go. That's the key. That we can let it go. Some, so many times we think that forgiving someone lets them off the hook, it right? Does. No, we can still hold people accountable and forgive them simultaneously. And, and I think we, we probably need to circle back and really, I, I'd, I'd like to do that with both of oh, you. Yeah, you're right. Have I mean, another um, conversation about forgiveness. And I would like to say, you know, say to your audiences, when I got to that place of forgiveness, it was like letting this air out of the balloon or something yeah. to get to that place of forgiveness. And it didn't mean that I forgot. No, it didn't mean that I still didn't hold accountability there, but I realized that when I got to that point of saying she did the best that she could with the skill set and the circumstances that she had at that time, it doesn't mean I agree. It doesn't mean that I think it's the best route that could have been taken, but to get into the forgiveness was she gave it the best that she had to give. And for that, I forgive you. That's right. Very, it's very powerful, very empowering. And so to MPs that, that are out there listening, uh, that's my personal testimony is that was really important. And it allowed me to begin to start working on another process of individuation. Because yeah. now I can separate myself from yeah. that experience. I, I'd like to point out on the tail end of that, again, with the, the, uh, you know, the not forgetting it's, it's like someone who's physically abused, right? Somewhere in the process, and I don't know where it lies, somewhere in the process, forgiveness comes in. It's understanding that whoever was your abuser was probably abused when they were younger, there's something going on, whatever the case may be. But just because you forgave them for that doesn't mean you move right back into the house or you walk right back into a relationship and give that person a chance to abuse. I wanna make that very, very, very clear. That forgiveness is not about just forgetting and moving right back into the unhealthy relationships whatsoever. It's about saying, and there, there's, I say all the time that people, people say, I don't care what people think. All right. We, we all know these people that, that say that term. I don't care what people think. There are two types of people. 
There are the people who say, I don't give a shit what people think. And then there are people who say, I really don't care what people think. The second one is the one that's sincere. It's the one that has done the work, has gone to the depths of hell and really come out and figured out where they're at on a, 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 with a positive a foundation of gratitude. And they really don't care what you think. The first one is still pissed off and angry and, and they really do care what people think. They're just trying to convince you and convince themselves they don't. And so the forgiveness is about, about letting that anger go internally again, you can still hold them accountable. You don't have to return to relationship. You don't have to have anything to do with them. It doesn't mean you let them off the hook. It just means that you're letting the pain and the hurt go for your own healing. Mm -hmm. Extremely important to know the difference between the two, I think. Okay. Bradley. Yeah, I know, wow. What, yeah. what an amazing Powerful. conversation. Thank you both. <laughs> for joining me. And, my mind uh, is blown and bigger and my heart is expanded. It's right. just like that Dr. Seuss thing, the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I love doing this. I, I, I learn something every time I do it. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm constantly talking to people that inspire me and man, what, there's nothing better than that, you know? Yeah. Well, you're a natural athlete. I think you have found one of your many places of giftedness and calling. And that, you know, you have a voice that's extending out. Yeah, I mean, really, I've, I've said this to him before, but I'm going to make him get a bigger head by saying. <laughs> um, thank, thank you. It is so important that you are modeling as a man having real conversations about emotional about content stuff. like that is that's like an act of revolution right there you know like not that not that it isn't for all of us pretty amazing when we can talk about emotion and feelings and things that are so real for us but i think even more so we're, we see so few we've got oprah you know but we have so few examples i mean i guess dr phil but we have <laughs> a whole other show but right, and I don't know about you, you, Amy, but you ask questions, Bradley, that my pistons are going and there's so much information coming into my head. I don't know which thing to grab because you have um, <laughs> the notebook. <laughs> yeah, the powerful, you know, you ask powerful questions. And when you're not asking questions, you're engaging in crucial conversation. And I stole that from who I have his book somewhere around. But one of my favorite books is called Crucial Conversations. And you engaged me and Amy into a very crucial conversation around a very timely topic. And there, you know, there's nothing really out there now. And so here you are on the leading edge, getting information out there because people are desperate. Well, thank you. I, I don't. No, don't put that on the, your recording. <laughs> what the critics are saying. Bradley's amazing. Yeah, cut that part out. Save that for your promo. Yeah. <laughs> put that one in your promos. I, I, I appreciate it. I don't, you know, I, it's that whole inner critic uh, perpetual shame thing. It's hard to take compliments. Right. Which is why I haven't watched our last one yet. And I know that. I know. Yours was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, don't watch it then or don't like, don't get yeah. focused on your that, piece. That old get focused on what you're giving <laughs> to the audience. I mean, you genuinely are giving a gift to your audience mm -hmm. by talking about these things that they're thinking about.
Yeah. You know, 30 years ago, you were, they, they say that you, you adopt the characteristics uh, of the, the five most people you spend the time with, right? That you spend the most time with, right? Well, 40 years ago, it was the people at, at, in your neighborhood and at work. And uh, if you got a crappy, <laughs> you got a crappy draw, uh, you know, good luck trying to evolve out of that. Now, now we have this and I get to talk to to very intelligent, uh, educated people like you every week. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. And, and thank you so much for, for joining me and sharing, uh, your insight. Um, yeah. which is the other thing I'm, I'm amazed that I've, I've evolved to a point where I just have connections with so many smart people. Um, you can't help but elevate when you, when you're having conversations like this with, with people like both of you. So thank you for joining me. He's giving it right back to us, Paula. All of us. <laughs> it's such. It's the truth. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's the truth. It, Much it really appreciated. Is. You know, when I I started working for a university a few years ago, and I went to uh, the first academic meeting, I walked into a room of two thousand people that had master's degrees and PhDs. I had never been in a room like that, and it the experience changed my life. I, I I've been around educated people. I don't mean that, but I walked into a room full of smart people and a lot of them smarter than me. And I was like, man, this is, this is like Disney. It was like Disneyland for me. I, I mean, I just couldn't. And, and so I, I intentionally tried to, to seek people like that out in Paulette's case, she sought me out. So I'm no, very grateful. The one that, that, anyhow. <laughs> no, you came and sat next to me. Yeah, I did sit next to you. And then you bailed me out when I couldn't come up with an example and you did. It has it was been great. such a pleasure, you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This, this is my silver lining. I just think like after that conference, I was like, I don't want to live in a world where I haven't met Paulette and Bradley. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, thank you. It, it was it was a pleasure. And Paulette speaks very highly of you. And uh, I can see it's certainly warranted. So thank you for thank you for joining. Thank you for reaching out to me. The love is real. You gotta chase me <laughs> down. I'm sorry. I, I just Oh, no problem. It's the way no I worries. live my life. I told the case. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye. Hello? Is anyone here? Hello? Hello? Oh, oh, hi. There you are. I've been looking all over for you. I want to thank you for listening uh, today. I also want to tell you. If you haven't checked out my website lately, uh, you should do that. It's www.thebradleyhall.com. Just to remind you, I am a holistic life coach, a certified mindfulness instructor, and I am a trauma recovery coach. And in these uncertain times, sometimes we just need someone to talk to, to help us clear our thoughts, help us organize our thoughts, and help us map out a clear direction of where we want to go to help us navigate through the obstacles that we, we may encounter through daily life. And I'm here to do that for you. So check out my website. I've got plenty of free content uh, on my, my website, also on my YouTube channel, which is The Bradley Hall and uh, The Health Preacher. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. We appreciate your support. And until then, take care of yourself.